Uh, hi, I'm Jim Bastardo, professional photographer, and you are watching A Student's Perspective. Hi there, and thanks for tuning in to A Student's Perspective, the weekly series that connects students with designers, manufacturers, educators, industry professionals, and design media celebrities to hear their stories on just how they've gotten to where they are now. Through our conversations, we connect the past, present, and future of design to show just how much we can learn from each other to grow towards our fullest potential without prescribed limitations. Think of a student's perspective as a weekly design lecture series from the student's point of view. A student's perspective is a division of the nonprofit University Hall of Innovation, whose goals are to connect students with the design industry through design challenges and mentorship and a collaboration with the Marywood University Interior Architecture Program in Scranton, Pennsylvania. All interviews can be found in their video format at www.astudentsperspective.tv. For more information or sponsorship inquiries, please contact University Hall of Innovation at gmail.com. Welcome back to another episode of A Student's Perspective. My name is Paige, and today I'm here with Jim Bastardo of Bastardo Studio. Um, I have a lot planned for this conversation in regards to your photography specifically, because I also have a background in photography, amidst, amongst other things within interior design. But um, excited to dive into that and a little bit more about your creative side and your studio practices. But to get started, I absolutely want to know more about your education and where that started. I see you have a background in photography specifically through education, but what made you decide to go into that field from the very start and what was your educational experience like? Well, yes, thank you, Paige. It is great to be here and I'm looking forward to the conversation. I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, Education-wise, um, well, like, uh, so I, I've been taking pictures since I was about 13. Um, I. Uh, picked up a camera at that point. So I was in junior high at that point. Uh, I, I was in an art class and I, I remember very uh, distinctly that the art teacher asked if anyone was interested in printing some of the black and white images for the yearbook. <clears throat> I, I think about that moment often because I can never figure out why I actually said, I'll do that. <laughs> like I have no idea the logic behind why I agreed to that. I was just super enthusiastic about art and everything that was going on, the creative process. So he said, great. And later on, he showed me the dark room. <clears throat> and I didn't know what the machine was. I didn't know what anything was. He basically told me I was going to put this into this and this and this, and you put it in the water. And I remember the first time <clears throat> I put it in that water, which was chem chemistry, obviously. And that image came up. And I just thought it was magic. It was just the most unbelievable thing in the world for me. Um, so then I got obsessed. I got obsessed. I would go every day to the point where my parents were like, why aren't you coming home from school till like six o'clock? So this was high school. <clears throat> no, this was junior high. Okay. Oh, wow. I was seventh grader in junior high when I did this. And then my eighth grade year started and I went back and I took the yearbook class. So not only was I doing the uh the printing i started taking the pictures and it was great and i loved every minute of it um at that point we're, we're signing up for classes for high school 
And somebody came and said, you could take photography, but you needed a camera. And I didn't have a camera at that point, right? So I went home and I, I told my parents that I needed a camera and they both, it was very expensive then to buy a 35 millimeter. And uh, I told both my parents and they said, okay, well, they sort of shrugged it off as parents might do. And I went all summer in between eighth grade and high school, not really thinking about it. And the weekend, so I started school on a Thursday. I started with an art class. And that weekend, that Sunday, my father came home from a flea market with a 35 millimeter camera. The last possible weekend he could have done that. I ran back to school that Monday. I went to the photo teacher and I said, can you please transfer me to your class? She made an exception, she said, okay. And I went into photo and I got very lucky with my teacher. She was an amazing teacher. And within about a month, she sat me down and said, uh, you're very good at this. And um, I'd like to speak with your parents. And so my parents came in and we had a conversation and based on her education, she said, he can do this. He can pursue this and I will help him. Like she was the most amazing person ever. And uh, they said, okay, what do they have to do? They had no clue what to do. And they basically just had to support it, right? Fund it, it's expensive, it costs paper, chemistry, film and all that stuff. And so for four years, I had the best teacher in the world and the best parents in the world who supported this. And it just, I was just, bursting with creativity. Like I was just doing everything and anything 24 seven. And my teacher went to a, uh, she went to a teacher's program at a college in Santa Barbara. Uh, it's called Brooks Institute of Photography. Yeah. It had its moment when I went, it was a very, uh, it, it's had some issues through the course of time. Generational things changed. But when I went there, it was, somebody recently told me when I went there, it still mattered. And, and it did matter. It did matter. There was only two or three photo schools in the country that had any worth at that time. It's a different world today, right? Um, so I started college and there was about a two-year waiting list to get in. Um, so we applied when I was a, almost a junior, I think, me and my photo teacher. And I went to school and then there was about an eight-month waiting list after I got out of college. So I went to work for a little bit or after high school. Um, I started college and I went through the whole program and I find it fascinating that the program that I went through to college was a, well, I should say the program I went through in high school was a mirror of what the college was, but a much, much looser, like it was high school based, right? But she knew what she was doing. Yeah. She knew what she was doing. And so I went to Brooks and I did four years there, which um, I had a choice. I was either gonna go to Brooks Art Center in Pasadena, and or RIT in uh, upstate New York. Okay. RIT was more like you're making film, like you're you're making paper and stuff like that. And I wasn't into that. And Pasadena was just too willy nilly for me. Mm -hmm. Like it was just of you be creative, do whatever you want. Brooks was a good hybrid of technical, yeah, structured, yeah. structured and and creative. Um, you know, for the first few years, it was all technical, like really technical. Um, and it, you know, I look back now and it was truly, uh, it was, it was the right education. 
It was mm -hmm. right after, you know, I got out of school and it took me about a decade to forget everything I learned. Like I literally had yeah. to forget it all. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that, you know, you put it in your, you put it in your subconscious at this point, right? You, you just don't want to, to follow those guidelines and I don't call them rules. Mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, I have, I've, I've been a professional for a very long time now and I get a lot of assistants that come through and they have all these questions and they want to do and they're learning and a lot of them are out of school and whatnot. And I tell them the same thing that these are guidelines. They are not rules. There are no rules to what you do and I do. They're meant to be broken. They're meant to be broken. They're meant, I don't think, you know, it's funny as I don't say they're meant to be broken. I say they're meant to be bent. Okay. Yeah. They're meant to be bent. It's almost like jazz. I mean, I, I, I don't listen to a ton of jazz, but I've learned to really appreciate it in a whole different way. Is like they bend the notes. Mm -hmm. They push them to the edges of what they can do to, to accomplish what they're feeling, right? You know, I, uh, I had an assistant once tell me, and it stuck with me completely, or an art director, I think it was, said, you bend light. I bend light where it needs to go. And that's when the jazz thing connected. Physically, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, yeah, I, go ahead. so interesting about your education, though, that you say that Brooks was the perfect kind of fit for you. I think a lot of people have those realizations about their universities, and maybe it's because we're slightly biased because we went through the four years and had these intimate relationships with different professors and teachers. But what was so specific about your college experience that you feel like was the perfect fit for your photography and how it developed you? So it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things in hindsight you look at, because when you're in it, you don't really understand it because you're, you're, you're living it moment by moment. So you don't know, you know, I look back now and, and I think about the process we went through and what they were true. They weren't trying to teach me creativity yeah. and you, you, you really can't teach that. You can enhance it, you can develop it, uh, but it is there or it's not there. Um, I look back, I, just speaking on that knowledge of creativity, I, I have all my imagery from high school, from junior high on. And I recently, during COVID, I went through a period of going through the archives and it was fascinating. It was truly fascinating because what I found was that the core vision that I have today yeah. is identical <laughs> to what it was then. Yeah. All I am now is just better at. You know, I'm more refined with it. But the way I see has always been the way I see. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what I believe a lot of people don't realize. But so anyway, back at, in the school, the, the way it worked was, is it was it was really structured to teach you the fundamentals, mm -hmm. like truly the fundamentals of what I was doing, how to understand how light works. It was critical. It's critical today. Yes. what I do. You're, you're an interior person. We deal a lot in shape. I, I'm an interior guy. I, you know, I started one place, but as your career progresses, it evolves and you find out who you are and then opportunity presents itself and, you know, you follow your ideas or you follow the money or whatever it is. Right. But you and I doing interiors deal in shape. We deal in basic shape, circles, triangles, squares, right? I mean, it's just... Yeah doesn't vary. A couch is this, a fireplace is this. 
I spent, I don't know, probably 14 weeks when I was a sophomore in college photographing a one by one foot by one foot gray box. Like I photographed that box at the triangular perspective for 14 weeks every day. And the reason I did it is I, I was an assignment and I didn't understand at the time, but I was taking that box and photographing it in every different lighting situation I could possibly, they could imagine to create, to understand the ratio, to understand how light reacts to it. Um, we added other elements to it, but I look back at that assignment today and I use that every day. I use that You're process. so efficient too. I mean, you have to go through the time consuming process to understand how light can affect form. And yes. that's right. simply put, but yeah, the way that it it's, it's a very simple thing. You know, they had to structure it for students, right? So mm -hmm. I shot that thing inside by windows, outside, in the rain, in the fog, like everywhere you can imagine. 14 weeks later, I did the same thing with, with a person, a bottle of wine, a loaf of bread, <laughs> and a little cube that had sticks coming out where you put a, a Christmas ball, a... Uh, a uh, racquetball. The mm. crystal ball was specular. The racquetball was matte. And in the middle was an orange. I shot that for another 14 weeks. For, so for 28 weeks of my school year as a sophomore, I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, why are we doing this? Mm -hmm. But that education, yeah, it was, it was critical. It was truly critical um, in, in that uh, process to understand what I do today. Um, and the professors I had were, uh, you know, they were open-minded. It was a different, it was a, there was an evolution going on in photography. I was very young. I was 18, almost 18 years old, where most of the students were already 23, had a degree already in something. <clears throat> and they had to, they had to learn to be open-minded to my youthful, like, approach to things. You know, there was a lot of subjective, you know, imagery that was more emotionally driven than traditional photography was. And, uh, but they were very open-minded and supportive. Yeah, changed everything. That's how great conversation happens. I mean, I appreciate that so much. And that was one of my favorite portion of photography classes. I mean, as well as my interior design classes, but is restricted the conversations that can come of someone with an entirely new perspective to the situation. So fresh eyes, whether it be someone younger or just someone new to the idea of this class or course, it's always great to have those types of perspectives. Oh, it's huge. It's huge. When I go to work, you know, it's it's really important. I work a lot with a stylist <clears throat> and an art director. That tends to be my team. I mean, there's a, a larger team, but those are my direct counterpoints. And what they bring, like over the years that you develop relationships with people, right? And what they bring to what I do is so critical. And sometimes it's what I bring and how they interpret it. It, it's this synergy between this triangle that occurs and it's huge and it's just conversation like you just said it's the beauty of communication yeah. yes yes it's really it really is um but it, it was a good four years uh i left there mm -hmm. uh three weeks later i was in new york city okay. and uh i started assisting and the funny thing is is the reason <clears throat> i got very lucky i got very very lucky to fall into a circle of photographers that I assisted for that were, again, in hindsight, 
that were uh, the top 1% fashion photographers. Wow. Because well, I thought I was going to be a fashion photographer at the okay. time. Okay. I did. I did. I thought I was going to be a photographer, right? Um, and it was it was in the early '90s, and, and fashion was having a a renaissance, so to speak, with the supermodel and the super photographer. Oh, insanely fun. Yeah. Oh my God! It was the time <laughs> I look back and I think I could have stayed there forever. Yeah. Like I had just enough responsibility. Yeah. yeah I was like, woohoo! <laughs> it was great. But I, I stayed there for about four years. And uh, but what they taught me is again continuing education. These these mm -hmm. gentlemen and. and few women but mainly gentlemen really taught me how to be a photographer mm -hmm. like it was so critical in the next phase of the education process so they taught me that and the thing was is so when I went out on my own it just design started to percolate up in who and what I am yeah and I ultimately realized that I'm a design guy I love good design yeah. And it, it, I love clean design. I, 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 you know, it can be cluttery, but it still has to be structured. Mm -hmm. And the best thing that ever happened was that I learned how to be a photographer through fashion people. Mm -hmm. So when I went into furniture and interiors and whatnot, I didn't know how to shoot it. Yeah. I didn't have that. Like, it's not like I went to an interior uh, assisted interior guys right. that would have right. taught me a traditional way to do it right. i went in shooting my products and my furniture and my interiors like i would do a fashion picture yeah and it really moved my career mm -hmm. like like it was fresh to to the product so it was critical that was the, that was the next big phase in the education i mean it's it's important so how long did you work assisting others before you ventured on your own about three and a half maybe four years tops which is fairly quick to be quick. able to push that. Yeah. It was quick. It was quick. I was ready to go. Yeah. I, I was yeah. ready to go. I could feel. And there was a transition period where mm -hmm. I had a few, you know, photographers hire me when I needed to make some money. Mm -hmm. And I just continued to go out. And then there was a moment, you know, an inflection moment where I started to test. I was testing models at the time and I was taking pictures and I was selling my, trying to get my book out there and whatnot. And I had a creative director see this little tiny picture I had that a magazine picked up of, 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 a, of a woman I shot that had this 1930s haircut. Mm -hmm. And she looked at the picture and she liked it because she was doing a 1940s story. Mm -hmm. And so she called me in from this little tiny picture that ran in Mademoiselle, which was a magazine that existed then. Like it ran about the size of a postage stamp. Oh, oh wow. She looked at it and she called me in and she looked at my work and she says, uh, okay, I, I like what you do. Um, I'm going to give you a chance. And she gave me my first full page picture in a magazine, national magazine. Awesome. And I nailed that picture. I <laughs> nailed that picture. I, I killed it, mm -hmm. killed it. And that, that stamp of approval that this next person in my career gave me moved me forward rapidly. Right, the validation to grow. I was just about to say, it validated me. And then it just started to snowball. And it just went and it went and it went. And I was still doing all kinds of different things at that point. But I look at those moments. I look at the teacher. I look at my high school teacher. 
I look at uh, my college professors and the structure. I look at the guys I worked for. She she was if she wouldn't have shown up, who knows what would happen? Right, right. Um, yeah, our yeah. teachers are so imperative to our path, and they don't know it during. I think during those times, but um, I mean, even all of the little details that you've explained to me, you remember down, to, I, I'm impressed by your memory because you remember even from high school, some of those minute things, but the things that stick with you are the things that grow with you. Oh, 100%. I can almost say, I, I, I'm pretty sure I remember almost every picture I've, I, like I can almost remember every picture. Right. Put yourself in that moment. I mean, I yeah. think one huge thing I that resonated a lot with me in photography and from doing photography on my own to then taking photography courses in college was the beauty of sitting still for the photo and taking your time, like sure. not maintaining this high shutter speed that I think most of the world thinks is what's in existence. Yeah, no. You're never gonna take the perfect shot when, yeah. when you're in that fixed state of mind. And I think that's what film photography, which I appreciate the older generation so much more because they had that allowance of, no, you only get 24 rolls in a in a film um, strip. So, yeah, yeah. so you need to have a little bit more presence every time you're taking that photo. It's not as simple as picking up a phone and being able to have an unlimited uh, canopy there. It's that that is a it's a really good point you brought up is because I used to shoot. Uh, let me grab it. Hold on, two seconds. Please do. <laughs> So I shot, I built my entire career with this camera. Now this camera is, it's a, it's a Pentax 6x7, mm -hmm. and the size, it's huge. It's like a 35 on steroids. It's like, <laughs> okay, and, yeah. it's, and it's manual, and there's no bells and whistles on it. It is the simplest process ever. So on this camera, the negative is six centimeters by seven centimeters. So it's pretty big, right? Yeah. And you only get 10 frames. Mm -hmm. And whenever I would shoot to talk about the pacing that you just spoke about, yeah. I used, you could get a roll that had 20 frames, but I stuck with the ones that had 10 because of that process. Yeah. The process of having to reload mm -hmm. and reset. It's critical to the way you think. Like, because you're moving through the motions and without that pacing it's mm -hmm. difficult the transition to digital was a very interesting transition for me i did it in 2004 i had started shooting for uh, a furniture company that ultimately defined my career uh, at the time i didn't know it but they did okay. and <clears throat> it was okay but i remember like i don't know how many photo shoots you've ever been on but you, you set your camera up and there's a monitor, right? And everybody gets to look at it, right? Yep. Well, when you set up a camera like this, no one's looking at anything except you through the little eye thing, right? Mm -hmm. And you're going through all your mental process, everything you do in your process to take a picture. Well, now, every time I hit that little, you know, return button on my laptop, it shows up on a monitor and there are nine people looking at it. <laughs> Yeah. All right. And they see it's like the curtain was lifted and they get to see all the steps I go through in my brain. And it was truly painful <laughs> because it was unbelievably painful because you're vulnerable. Right. Mm -hmm. Like nobody knows that. And then you could see them from the corner of your eye making snap judgments. Yes. Because they didn't see the evolution of it.
Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And I had to learn to deal with that. It was really difficult. It was really difficult in the beginning to be that exposed. Mm -hmm. Now, this is very validating for me as a young professional and like just learning that other people have those not insecurities per se, but something of that regard, because having a watching eye is always um, a little intimidating. Always to this day, it's still you still know people are watching. Now you handle it in a different manner. I mean, as a as a photographer, one of the biggest lessons so what you, you with a client, you start to build up uh, credibility. Yeah. And, yeah. and 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 if you go down a path that isn't working as a young photographer, you're always terrified to say this isn't working because they start to lose confidence in you and it shifts and whatnot. And it's really a painful moment as a shooter. As you get older, you you just learn that you have to stop. You have to say, this isn't working. I need to regroup. And you have to regroup. The problem when you do that is you lose, you use some of your clout. And if you don't, and if you don't use it right, then they stop start losing confidence in you regardless. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Doesn't yeah. change. It's fun. It's fun. Um. So I do want to get into a little bit more about your creative process in general. So specifically talking about how you approach photography within the interiors. And I mean, I know you kind of briefly talked about that switch over to photographing design and how you are a design guy, but how you've taken and I think explicitly almost that fashion background of photography and applied that to this world because i know we briefly touched on it and maybe some of our viewers don't have a perspective of photography as i do but the traditional way of learning shooting interiors or just shooting product photography shooting design is so different from that of anything that involves people correct uh, anything that involves portraits uh the fluidity of just i think fashion in general i think is a great example for that but there's so many variations, but the traditional way in which we teach design photography is so specific. So I'd love to hear more about your approach to it. And I think why or what makes yours unique? So, yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, so, like I said, I didn't start off in design, but I, 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 I started doing product. I started doing different things. I did jewelry, which was this little macro design thing in most of so most of my process is is it's always been the same. I got a call from a company called Design Within Reach, which was uh, they were a startup in San Francisco in the dot com period, and I got a call to to work with them, and I went out, and that was really my big move into real interior design. Uh, the art director I was with and the stylist I was uh, was working with. Um, that, that was their background more so. So I got educated really quick. But at the end of the day, I look back in, in the way that I approach what I do is the first thing I, I do is I, I clear my head. Like I literally don't think. I, 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 it just shuts down any thought process and I just compose. Um, I, I wish I had a really good answer to how I see shape. Yeah. Um, it's a really, it, it's some of it's technical. Some of it is about compression. It's about understanding the tools I'm working with and how the lenses and the choices I make compress yeah. uh, the, the subjects, right? Again, dealing with basic shapes, those design principles go all the way back to the very beginning of how I see shape. 
Um, you let lighting play into it. But as a commercial photographer, I have to go through some process. I have to have some idea of what I'm going to do. And over the course of time, you, you learn the things that work for you. Um, I love very clean lines, right? Mm -hmm. I, all my lines have to be very clean in what I do. And one of the things I think about is so through lighting, through lenses, through design, I'm a commercial photographer, right? So I, I like to to mix, you know, art and commerce in that Venn diagram, right? You know, where they, and I, I run in that little area. Mm -hmm. I run in that space that's a little uncomfortable where you're blending the two. Mm -hmm. I'm not a straight artist. I don't get to just say, this is what I want. And that's it. And I'm not a straight commercial guy that's like, tell me what to do. You know, yeah. I'm creating an emotional impact. That's the idea is like, uh, when I was an assistant, we did this uh, job once and I brought the film to the photographer and he looked, he goes, what is this? And I said, it's the film. It's correct. He's like, I'm not trying to make something correct. I'm trying to make it look right. Good. He said, and that really resonated with me that when I take an image, I want it to be emotionally driven. I want you to feel it. Feel so good. Yeah. Yeah. So through lighting and perspective, I am very conscious of how I'm directing you as a viewer. Mm -hmm. to where I need you to go and anything beyond that is isn't necessary they're conscious of the designers that are going to take my stuff on beyond me because I secretly want to be a graphic designer <laughs> um where copy goes because copy is important to me it creates the next layer to me copy takes the photo that's this way and what I've done this way and extends it even further mm -hmm. to another layer of uh, not vertical depth, but three-dimensional depth. Mm -hmm. So I'm always clear on that. Um, so understanding what I'm trying to achieve in the objective and, and force you to see is really important to how I do what I do. Mm -hmm. um, I also, you know, again, liking good design you, you start to gravitate to what you feel comfortable with too, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. But yeah. Um, it, yeah, I'm sorry. I feel like I interrupted you. <laughs> no, it's okay. Well, I was going to ask about um, some of those specific designers that you've worked with and I want to continue talking about some of those collaborations as well, but what has that taught you? Like in terms of continue edu continuing education and your passion for design, have there been sure. specific moments where maybe someone was over your shoulder and it is their product or, like, how does that affect the way that you work? Oh, it's a tremendous effect, right? So again, working with design within reach, you know, I know a lot of people that shoot product and they don't always get to shoot the best product, right? I was super, super lucky. Again, I've said that a lot. <laughs> okay. um, to work with the most iconic furniture in the United States, at least, and in the world, quite frankly, yeah. um, which... Initially, I was unaware of. I was ignorance is bliss. I was just like, woohoo, let's do this. It's great. But over the course of my career, I, I don't know how many times I've had the privilege of shooting the Eames Lounger, right? Or or uh, the Cabousiers or what, whatever unbelievable, you know, Nelson Lamp comes along or whatever it is in the most iconic places. Yes. Yeah. Right. So that's a huge combination that. I'm very fortunate to be around. Mm -hmm. And um, shooting the furniture, I remember when I became conscious of it, 
that, and I became conscious of it when I had to do another job where the furniture wasn't as great. Yeah. Yep. And I still killed it. I still made that furniture look. That's the thing too. I can, I, I'm not above making anything look good. That's my job. Make it look as possible. And yeah, okay, it wasn't the most iconic furniture in the world, but it still looked amazing for what it was. Yes. What I did realize though is how fortunate I am to work with good design. And the one thing about good design, it almost always looks good from any perspective. Yeah. Like it really is. And you look at the furniture designers that have created it, and they have thought about that. Mm-hmm. There's no angle that you can look at to uh, the Eames lounger and go, this is just terrible. It's very true. Very true. I mean, it's really, really a big deal. Like to put a, to, to, you know, to put a Cabousier L7 chair out there, which is an incredible chair. And just, it's not so much of finding the right angle. It's about finding the mood and the idea you want to put out on it. Right. Depending on the lighting and location and whatnot. The same with great architecture, mm-hmm. right? When I'm in a home that's designed beautifully and in conscious uh, with its with its styling, it just transcends everything. And it just makes like I, I don't want to say it makes it easier, but you know, I don't know. Would Steven Spielberg's movies be as great if he didn't have the best sets? I don't know. <laughs> no, no, I absolutely relate to that. And I think as interiors that makes us appreciate it that much further and make us think a little bit more cognizantly about every corner of the room. Um, And I mean, I've run into that because I'm also very new to the profession and um, taking photos of interiors that, oh, they're not quite what I wish they were, or I wish they were cleaner in some aspects. And that feels very cluttered over there. But, you know, that was part of the essential design. And there's only so much you can give for some of those spaces. But like you said, if as long as you can bring emotion to them and bring light to them as best as you possibly can, that's part of the beauty of it. Absolutely. So I have a lot of control over the environments I'm in. And Mm -hmm. I I love that you just said you have to look at every corner of the room. I have to think about every corner of the frame too. And I do have control enough to say, this isn't working for me here. Let's simplify this because we'll go to a location and we'll strip it out and bring in and create our world. And when I'm creating my world, I have to be conscious of what the real world looks like because I have to make it look real. Yeah. Right. That's a really difficult art form to make, to, to like empty your room out and then have a bunch of people go, what do we do now? Right. Like put this here, put this there. It's a really challenging process to to design and composition but when it works it works mm-hmm. i mean when it you just see it and it comes together magically and it's just one of those incredible moments yeah it, it is um what type of design do you do well interior architecture and design and so as far as photography um i got my minor from marywood in photography so i was able to dabble in that and i still i like to shoot interiors but it's so different from the typical photography that I do. So all my, all my things often overlap. Like I shoot weddings as well. So that's great. Listen, I shooting weddings is a big deal. I used to work for like all the career I had before, Mm -hmm. you know, before I got into what I really have done for the past 20 years, I shot weddings. I didn't shoot weddings for weddings. I I worked for brides magazine. Yeah. Oh, wow. They they would send me to these really high end weddings to do an editorial story for them. Yeah. Right. And it was in, again, early 90s when wedding photography didn't look 
an interesting way. It, like today, it's like whatever every wedding picture you see today. I want to believe that I was part of that movement because prior to my, I was young, mm-hmm. and prior to that wedding photography looked like brides looked very different, and I was looser, and it was much more. I love the way wedding photography looks today. I think it looks beautiful. It's it got moves, a nice as movement, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it feels alive. Mm-hmm. And that's what I would do. I remember going there. But all of that, all of those compositions that I created then, like I could look, I've looked at them. I know that the design is there. Yes. Yeah. And in design, you know, you're a designer. And I love that you said that you're doing this, you're doing that. You can transcend your design into anything you want. Mm-hmm. You know, in this process of looking through my imagery at this point in my career, I have a bunch of personal work, tons of it, and I'm working on a personal book. And once the body of work got together and I started to look at it, I realized it is one of those moments. Again, you look at it, you go, oh, my God, here's my professional work. Here's my personal work. And if you pull the skin off both of those subjects and you're only left with design sticks, lines, it's the same. The compositions are exactly the same. <laughs> Yeah. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, like, that's incredible. It was incredible to see. Mm-hmm. To go. So then what I started to think about was what's influencing what? Mm-hmm. Is this influencing this? Because my professional work, there is not one single thing in my photographs, if you look at them, that has not been thought about. Yeah. But in my personal work, it's just completely whatever <laughs> I see. Right, right, right. And they feed off, they have to feed off each other, right? Mm-hmm. So with you understanding design, who knows where you're going to take it? You know, yeah. you can run with it a million different ways. You're going to follow the money. You're going to follow the opportunity. Uh, things are going to affect the decisions you make moving forward. Yeah. You know, it's a big deal. The beauty of this podcast, or this web series is really talking about some of those overlaps and I mean it's always been so influential in mine and having photography there as an outlet I would love to see a path where I can find where those merge um so I look forward to that and you should and the, the crazy thing is that the one thing I realized I could not, like I over the years I would try to cut corners on time yeah. like just to accelerate it to get further along and I realized that you can't cut corners on time you have to go through the process. Mm-hmm. You can, it, it doesn't accelerate. I remember I'd get opportunities, like the first catalog I ever had, I just bombed. I just tanked it because it was so unprepared for it, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember I was so upset and someone asked me, why are you so upset? You, there'll be another opportunity, right? Yeah. I yeah. said, yes, there will be, but I know how far and few they are between. Right. You know, it was painful. And that was just time. Mm -hmm. And you're going to enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride, really. I mean, that's that's the best advice I can give in that area. Yeah, I appreciate that. So going back just a little bit, based on kind of exactly what we're talking about, though. Um, So you talked about your personal work versus your professional work. And I think that's something that's imperative in design school, in the design profession, when you get out, in photography vice versa. Like a lot of people suffer burnout. Um, and it's whether it's working nine to five or whether it's staying up all night editing some type of shoot. Um, 
but the beauty of what we do is that we are passionate about it from the start. Like a lot of us interiors, we're sketching all day. We love to enjoy our sketchbooks at a nice coffee shop during the afternoon. Like it's becomes a habit of the things that we enjoy. And same with photography. When I travel, it's what I love to shoot and constantly am aware of it. But there are times where I think we want absolutely nothing to do with it with when during our personal free time because work can become so impressive and overbearing. Um, have you ever suffered from that kind of, or do you have ways that people could look past that or over that? Um, I have to say that I've never suffered of that. Um, I, and, and I'll tell you why I believe that. Um, pretty, pretty fortunate. I like, I, I've never worked a day in my life. Yeah. I've never, ever had a job. I've never had it. Somebody asked me recently, I, I've never had a W2. <laughs> I don't even know what a W-2 is, right? It just, <laughs> just doesn't happen. So people ask me all the time, don't you get tired of it? I'm like, no, I never have, yeah. never. Now, a couple things, a couple reasons why. One of them, you gotta remember when I found what I do. I was 13, right? right. I was going through puberty. You, you're finding out who you are as a person and imagine because I have children right now. I have a 14-year-old son and I you know I can't even imagine him finding his identity at this age. Right. It's phenomenal when I look at him because he doesn't know anything. <laughs> but he just doesn't. But yeah. I was super fortunate. So imagine developing as a person at the same time you find who you are, that tree that you are growing the they, the roots become one. Mm -hmm. Like there is no separating who I am as a person and who I am as a creative. They're, they're too intertwined. I can't, I could never do that. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's a weird reality. Uh, it's a blessing and a curse mm -hmm. because what it's done is it's really narrowed my scope. You know, I didn't have 10 jobs that I tried different things and this and that. Um, I knew pretty much out of the gate that I was a photographer. Like I just knew there was just, this is okay. That that's checked off. Now let's just do it. So you go through the whole process and there's periods where you're not burned out, but you, you're like absorbing everything like mm -hmm. film. I, I could not watch enough movies. <laughs> yeah. I, not, I have piles of books and miles high, right. Where you're just looking but over the past decade or so, I don't really look at photography. I don't get any magazines. I, I don't know how long it's been since I've looked at a magazine. Um, I don't look at photo books that often anymore, uh, as much as I used to. But what I do is I get my inspiration from other areas. I like, I will see a beautiful sunset. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll see some flowers and I'll just see the yellow in the flowers. And when I go take a photo of an interior, you know, I have a backstory in my head that keeps me alive. Who lives here? What yeah. mood do I want? Is, is, do, do I, does Robert De Niro live in this apartment? That this is the room I want to make look like Robert De Niro lives here. Or do I want to make it look like, you know, Nicole Kidman lives here or whatever it is to motivate me. And maybe those are the things that keep me from burning out. Yeah, no, I, I, that's a beautiful perspective. And I had a similar question for you, just kind of based on where you get your inspiration. But majorly, sometimes we have these conversations, like in some of these interviews where we ask, like, how do you stay 
not just relevant, but stay on top of trends. And I think oftentimes at designers, it's through, oh, I need to be reading this podcast or listening to this podcast, sure. reading this publication. But I have always felt that we can push beyond that a little yes. further. And it seems like that's where you gather yours. And I, I do. And I'm, I'm not a very trendy person. I don't follow a lot of pop culture. I, I will go outside and I'll go for a walk and I'll just feel the light. Yeah. So I spend a lot of times with just emotion. Mm -hmm. It's it's really emotion that moves me. And it could just be the idea of the energy of these dogs that are running around, you know, when I pass them. And it's like, that's the energy I want to feel. And and that is, that. I guess that is the motivation. Um, just constantly looking too is, yeah. is, is real important to how you see. I, I have people that criticize the fact that I don't follow what's going on. Peers of mine are like, you have to know. I've never believed that. I believe I do what I do and the market will bear it or it won't. Right. And that's it. I don't know if I'm on trend or not, mm -hmm. but I do know if I get a job that they're hiring me for what I do and appreciate not work. Right. Appreciate what I'm about. Um, there are some photographers who make their whole career on trend. Yes. They constantly evolve with it. My look has been the same look from as long as I can, because when you start taking pictures, you're taking pictures that are influencing you from a lot of different perspectives. Mm -hmm. And then you do one thing. It starts with one that you go, <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. And, and you take that and it's this little piece of paper or this little mental thing you take and you shove it in a filing cabinet in your head. Mm -hmm. And you, you start to build those up, right? So then you go on a job and you're freaking out because everybody's standing around. You have to figure out what you're going to do. And then you look around and your brain says, oh, what, what am I looking for? Yeah. And it pulls out that thing you remembered. If it was the quality of the light or the color of the furniture. Mm -hmm. And my first thing was the quality of light. I like to backlight. Mm -hmm. So then I'd go on these sets and I'd look around and I'd say, where's the backlight? <laughs> yeah. And I yeah. would find the backlight mm -hmm. and then I would build my room and my space on that. So it, the inspiration comes from a lot of places, but a lot of it comes from experience. Yeah. You know, doing and being. It's, That's incredible. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I really think so. I mean, I think a lot of people in the industry and I mean, even as students um, with like younger minds that are easily adaptable, a lot of people suffer from imposter syndrome just oh. because we see so much. And just like you said, sometimes we gravitate towards specific things and you want to be that or you want to do that. And it's definitely God willingly to find inspiration in those around you. But I think finding what's important to yourself and basing right. it off but of kind of core fundamentals is, is your, your, your bucket's going to be full with influences, influences right now. Right. right. But you'll eventually fill the other bucket up and you'll, you'll, those will go away. My um, own experiences. And yeah, exactly. And over the course of my career, there have been moments where I said, Oh, I'm definitely know exactly who I am. Yeah. And then, you know, oh, no, no, now I really know who I am. I, I want to say at this point in my career, I, I think I actually know who I am <laughs> for the first time. And what it was funny is it didn't come about until COVID because it just took me away from everything. And it was a lot of reflection to go, 
I'm clear and I, I feel clear, clearer on who I am. And it's the merger of personal and the professional. Like they've always been separate. Yeah. I merge them together to create one brand in mm -hmm. my head. And I am clearer today than ever. Now, the market might not bear it the way it, 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 it just is what it is. That's that's commercial photography right there. So, but it's it's a good place. But you'll evolve with it. Yeah. So that merger in your head, I'd love to use the back end of this interview to talk about kind of your professional work now. But that merger happened during COVID. You said it. It did. It ha so it actually started a few years before COVID. So, uh, but I don't know, twelve maybe a year before COVID, I left my agent, who I had been with for 15, 16 years. And I needed to change. Uh, I had a few clients in my pocket still. Uh, that it was there was a uh, change going on, yeah. and then COVID hit unexpectedly. And when you had that moment, you know you're home a lot, right? You have time to think about a lot of things. And I, I just was separated enough from my professional work to forget it. Right. I just forgot about professional work. I needed that space. Yeah. You, you have to forget every once in a while. But in the process of forgetting, I was spending more time with my personal work, just just going over 15 years of personal work. And like I, I remember I started with about a thousand pictures that I had and I made these books. I created these books of my personal work. Right. And I started with about a thousand pictures and I had to whittle them down to, I don't know, 150 to 200. And it took me forever to do the edit and come up with a narrative, right? And then I wanted to enter this contest for a publishing thing and I had to narrow it down to 50 of the core. That editing process is an editing process of you, mm -hmm. not an editing process of pictures, right? Mm -hmm. And you learn so much about who you are. Like, it's just unbelievable, edu another education. Yeah, yeah. So then when I took all of that body of work and I became so clear on who I was, once work started back up, there was a much looser approach to what I did. Because remember, everything I did prior to that was so meticulous. Yes, yeah. Now, I'm so sure of what I do through that process. It's so much looser and it's a current feel. It's a vibe that feels right. But I didn't follow the vibe. I just have always kept evolving. You, you kind of have to keep evolving, right? Yeah, and it also feels like a level of confidence, too, that you've gained to this point that, that you know, validates the things that you're doing and elevates your experiences now. Yeah, I mean, that confidence hurts you professionally sometimes because a lot of time, the way the business has changed, you know, good enough is good enough. Uh, more volume is needed, less creativity. The pictures are only seen certain sizes and various things. And a lot of clients do not want my heavy thinking process stuff. They're just like, just take the picture, Jim. Just, <laughs> yeah, just get it, get it in the can. It's going to last for a minute. And I'm like, no, no, no. So it, it's a double-edged sword. Yeah, yeah. Wait, so they don't want to hear the whole backstory because... <laughs> no, they do not. They do not. They, a lot of times it's like, get off the box, get off the soapbox. This is... <laughs> This is photography, Jim. It's not, you know, it's not your ode to the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it is to me, right? Everything is the ode, my ode to the world right now. And that's, but that's why I don't get burnout, right? I love what I do. Mm -hmm. I love it. And you need to love it. 
And you're going to come, and I don't want to drag this out. I'm going to say something quickly that you're going to get to a point where I believe that, you know, you advice to you is as soon as you can step out of yourself and look at yourself and say what you do, look at what you do, look at what you love and look at what you do. And if you're lucky, they're together. Yeah. And if you're not, you make a choice. Mm-hmm. Some people are like, I'm just going to do what I do because I make a lot of money at it and I don't love it. Or some people are going to say, I'm going to do what I love and there's a chance I'm not going to make any money at it. Mm-hmm. I got very fortunate. They were one, right? Encouraged, yeah. But, the, but there are a lot of people that make those choices. And mm-hmm. the sooner you can be honest with yourself on what matters to you, you're going to be happy either way. Mm-hmm. Right? You're not going to hate either one of them. So that's that's a big deal. That's a big part of the growth and the education. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that resonates extremely well with me because that's always been a thought. And from the start of college, from high school, was how can I continue to merge all of these opportunities without like discouraging my own future? And like you said, monetarily, not letting it affect me in that aspect either, but still allowing me to hit the re- output sh- output and outreach that I'd like to um, make connections sure. with people. But uh, it's continuing education. I'll, I know we're running on time and I want to let you know that where I'm at in the next phase of my education yeah. is I'm always, always open to what's going on as far as people. And so in, I don't know, maybe a year ago, just over a year ago, I got into the NFT community mm-hmm. and uh, it's a global community. And I have met more people, creatives in the field of art and photography than I've ever met in my whole life. And it's this unbelievable community of people that are just finding their way creatively. And I love it because they're very young. They could be very old. They could be very young. But it is just an energy. And you need to keep moving forward with energy. And that's that's where we are as creatives. We create. Yeah. That's a wonderful thing to have. Thank you. You're yeah. giving me some energy as well. I Good. <laughs> Um, and that's the best part about putting all these creatives together. And when we I talk about that loosely and often, but going to expos and meeting people of the trade is they all inspire something new in you, um, whatever background they come from. And that's why we attempt to talk to as many people as possible. And I think there's a huge overlap within the photography community and the interiors. And not everyone within our school may see it yet, but once Huge. you're but once you're out there and your own projects are getting photographed as well, like there's a huge collaboration that has to come from what do you want this to provide and portray to your environment and your audience? Um, right. I think I, your background I, in photography is going to be really important to you because you're going to be able to speak a language. Mm-hmm. And the more the better, the more languages you understand and what you do are going to be critical to how it goes. It's all going to overlap in the designers that do the copy work on your stuff they're another layer of what's going on, you know, and the, the, the creative directors that have their agenda, you have to, it's all creatives. Yeah. Everyone you're around has a creative view and an application to what they do. Right. And you're going to connect with all of them. And the more, the more educated you are in all those fields, you're way better suited. Way <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I love how much you've said that word creative in general, too, because not only you're a photographer at your core, amongst many other things, but you've always defined how you're a creative at heart. And I think that embodies a lot of how we overlap and how our fields really connect. 
Absolutely. And you have to label yourself a creative. You're not just, you know, it's not Paige, the interior designer. It's Paige, the creative. Like every, like there's nothing, like I just sent somebody flowers and, and she got the flowers as a gift. And she said, you, uh, when you spoke to the flower person, you had them wrap them up in craft paper, didn't you? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. And she's like, I know. And I was like, how'd you know that? She goes, because nobody wraps things up in craft paper. They send it in the cellophane with a bunch of baby crap. But it's the creative process, right? You, yeah, you, you have to think about all the creativity that goes into everything you do. It's, and it's hard to shy away from it. I mean, it's so embedded in us, though, that it applies to everything we do. Oh, my God, it applies to everything. It applies. Like, I walk around the house, and I'll look at something, and I'll be like, ah, oh, that's not right. And I'll move. I mean, it's just, you just ooze it. That's who we are. I, I love who we are. I love, like, I tell my kids all the time, and they're not very creative that way. But, you know, you, you walk down a road and see it like this, or you can do this. You know, just kind yes. of see it from this view opposed to like everybody sees yep. this you can go oh well look at that i can see it from here we learned that at a very young age in architecture school where you have a model you always have to flip it upside down flip yeah. it upside down turn it on its side it's the same it's the same exact same thing. Life. correct see <laughs> everything through just a little different lens now yes you're going to be a little weird you don't have to be crazy weird, though, right? I mean, just I'm just a little weird. Touching the brain, yeah. That's yes, exactly. But it's fun. It makes life great. <laughs> makes it really great. So anyway, that's me. Thank you so much, Jim. Is there anything else we haven't touched on that you'd like to cover? Oh, I feel like I've talked your ear off, and I apologize. It was, it was absolutely perfect. And I think we talked about a process that people can relate heavily to. I hope so. I hope I didn't just get on my box and toot my own horn. I Like, there's a lot... Look, the education is a lifelong journey. Your, your education, you just finished up school. That That is truly a, a, a cornerstone. Yeah. Right? But there's yeah. a lot more stones that are going to be built. And you're going to meet a lot more people along the way that are going to move you. And I do my best with all my assistants and anyone that wants to talk like you uh, to to help. Like, I'm all, I'll, you, you can pick up my phone and call me whenever you want. It's Thank you. It's <laughs> a big deal to mm -hmm. moving us forward uh, so anyway it was fun i had a great time i had a great time and i i've done plenty of interviews thus far but i'm gonna i don't want to toot your own horn as well but this was my favorite that oh, I, I mean i looked so hard for a photographer to talk to um through this podcast as well so that also has a place in my heart but this is a beautiful conversation great. um i appreciate how our work life applies to our life and our everyday. It's all one, Paige. It's all one. Thank you guys so much for watching A Student's Perspective. If you enjoyed this conversation, please like, comment, and share with your friends. And tune in next week as, we, as the conversation continues from A Student's Perspective. We hope you liked this discussion with the design industry from A Student's Perspective. Please like, share, and comment, and stay tuned for more inspiring conversations to come.